You're listening to the Pro Boy Podcast. Hello, Steve here. Welcome to the last instalment of our Commonwealth Games Memories podcast series. We started in 1982, and in this episode, we'll linger a bit more on the challenges of Delhi before moving on to the last games to be held in the UK in Glasgow back in 2014. And who better to talk about a games in Scotland than someone who flew the saltire with distinction? It's none other than Hannah Miley. Let's have a listen. So, welcome back to the Pool Boy Podcast. Hannah Miley, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Cold up there in North Scotland, I gather. Yeah, it's a bit frosty. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason the reason we've invited you back today, of course, uh, is to to have a chat about um, the Commonwealth Games. We're in Commonwealth Games year for 2022, um, and uh, you competed four times in the Commonwealth Games for Scotland through your career. Um, can I start by asking, how did you find the Commonwealth Games as a thing? You know, you swam at Worlds, Olympics, Europeans. Um, how do the Commonwealth Games kind of compare to those experiences? Um, well, for me, my first Games was in 2006. And that was pretty much what cemented my desire to pursue swimming as more of a career. I was 16 at the time. Um, didn't have the best lead into those Games. I was actually in hospital uh, January time uh, with suspected pneumonia uh, for two weeks. Um, so going into the actual competition, it was a little bit rough, but the whole experience of being part of a team for me, for being part of Team Scotland, it's all about the, the kilt, uh, wearing the Team Tartan and the kit with pride. And it was just, it was just awesome. And then once the, you know, we had such a successful swimming team as well at the Melbourne Games that I was just like, I want to do this. I want to see how far I could take my swimming career. And, you know, I've kind of never really looked back from it. So it was pretty much the springboard for me for wanting to pursue um, a career in swimming a little bit more. And you, you kind of touched on it there. But um, as a Scot, you don't get as many opportunities to, to compete for Scotland rather than, than GB. Um, does that make it that much more kind of special? Yeah, it does. There's just something quite nice because, you know, we are a small nation we're quite feisty and um, just being able to represent that, you know, and it is, it's the once every four years that we do get to do that. And it just, it holds a really deep passion and drive and a lot of the teamwork that we do leading into it, you know, it's describing what it feels like to be part of team Scotland. And a lot of the phrases of family team support, you know, it's like um, a clan, you know, we have family tartans. So for us being part of team Scotland, you feel like it's part of a clan and it's, yeah, there's just something really, really special. We're very proud, very honest and open and proud about what we do. We like to stand out. You know, there's not that many individuals that have or teams that have a tartan. So, yeah, there, there just was just something special about that team, Scott. And like, we really do celebrate being part of that team. Like, it really does mean a lot to a lot of the Scots. Because for some individuals, you know, being part of the Team Scotland event at Commonwealth Games, that might be the highest pinnacle in their career. So, you know, it's to be celebrated. It's to be something, you, you know, is worth, I'm going to keep repeating the word celebrated here. <laughs> I can't quite fully describe it. It's just that innate pride. You know, it really does bring out the sort of pride of uh, your, your nation, yourself, and just being able to have that Team Scotland cap and kit makes a big difference. Well, we're gonna we're gonna talk more about your later Commonwealth Games sort of memories, if you like. Let's move on then to uh, to twenty ten, uh, the games in Delhi. Um, I mean, let, let's face it, uh, Delhi's a very different place to Melbourne. 
so it must have been a, a very different experience heading there. It was. Um, where to begin? It was, it certainly was an eye-opener. It really made you appreciate actually what we have as a nation and I guess the stability of just general structure of a building. You know, we first thing we walked into our rooms and I remember one of my teammates, she grabbed a hold of the curtains, tried to pull them shut and then the whole pole from the curtain rail just fell down. There was paw prints all over the beds, um, the bathroom, the toilet flushed like once every seven or eight hours. There was nails protruding through the bathtub some of the balconies, like we were told, do not open the balcony door because the balconies were at a slight angle, potentially going to be falling off. No barriers around the outside of it, but you could quite easily open the door and walk straight out. So it was it was different. It was very, very different. And we had to and we did the best that we could. And, you know, granted, those that were there working for the Federation in Delhi, you know, were really, really helpful. You know, they did want to, you know, give a good impression for India and for Delhi. So, you know, we're eternally grateful for what it was. But it, yeah, it certainly wasn't the most straightforward um, of things. I mean, you could even hear they had baboons on the back of motorbikes, obviously not driving it. There was a guy driving the motorbike, but they were there to like stray dogs, cobras that were just in the village and the baboons were there to basically get rid of the cobras, attack the stray dogs to get them out the village. And you'd hear screams at night, which were horrifying. And it was, you know, stray dogs being attacked and all that. So it was, yeah, it was very interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, quite an, quite an experience. I mean, um, people will will know obviously there was a lot of illness around in in all, in a lot of the teams that week i mean people watching in the uk would have seen uh, francesca house will have to make a swift exit from a from a post race interview for example but um how did how did that affect you did you avoid it or or um no i ended up getting a bit of deli belly but not as bad as i think some other people um my dad especially actually contracted e coli and putting it bluntly very nearly died out there um so it was very very serious but i'll never forget one of the days when we were at the swimming pool there was no running water all running water had stopped and i don't quite know what it was i'm going to jump in here because hannah's description of what happens next is quite graphic so if you're of a sensitive disposition you might want to jump forward about 40 seconds but there were lots of people running to and from the toilets and you go into the bathroom and there are guys in there no gloves on with a big black bin liner hands in the toilet, scooping out all that was in the bathroom into these bin liners. And they were retching whilst they were trying to, apologies for the graphic detail, but they were retching as they're putting everything in there. And obviously, you know, it's not pleasant. It's just layers upon layers because you can't flush. So guess where they decided to wash their hands? Because obviously the sinks weren't running water. Swim down pool. I was going to say, you were going to say the swimming pool, weren't you? So uh... So swim down pool. So they were just going in and just dunking their hands in the swim down pool. So that was one of the reasons why a lot of us got very, very ill. Um, And yeah, a lot of the foods like the fresh veg and salads and stuff were rinsed in a lot of the water, which was uh, not so good. Um, And as I said, my dad contracted E. coli quite badly and as I said, very, very nearly died as well. So There was a lot of illness going about, and especially when your toilet flushed once every seven to eight hours in your room, it wasn't great. So we had to manage the best that we could. And, you know, hats off to the support staff for all teams, you know, having to manage athletes literally hanging on for dear life and doing the best that they can and for themselves to not get ill, to be there to support the team. It was tough. Well, turning attention to um, masses in the pool. um, (laughs) 
you know, 2010 was a funny old year because you'd had Europeans earlier in the summer and the Commonwealths mm-hmm. were sort of September, October time. Um, how did how did you kind of handle the double kind of a taper and you know, having two targets in that year? Yeah, it was quite, it was interesting because Europeans for me was kind of, uh, at Budapest 2010 was kind of a bit of a breakout year for me. Um, it was a really good championships. I'd won gold. I'd uh, done a, a pretty swift time that was not in a poly suit. So it was one of the first major competitions we'd done where post the suit ban. So, uh, you know, I was kind of riding that high. And obviously after the summer, most people take a two week break or two, three week break. And you couldn't because Commonwealth were in October. So you pretty much had to train right the way through. Um, I didn't mind that. Uh, I kind of thought, you know, you've got that next target and then kind of look to surviving it and seeing what recovery you needed afterwards. But I do remember my first race being the 200 IM. And, you know, I'd done reasonably well at that at the Europeans, but obviously I knew I wasn't going to be up. I was up against, you know, Alicia Coots and a lot of good Australian, you know, GB guys as well. I'm not a 200 medley swimmer. I do it for fun. I do it because there's an opportunity there and there's space for me to swim it. So, you know, I raced it. I came, I think, sixth and time wasn't quite great, but I kind of realized that that competition didn't matter what time you did. I think it was just about being able to actually finish the race and, you know, being able to either make it to a toilet or just being able to get out the pool in general. And um, I just remember finishing and I'll never forget going through that call room uh, after the final. And I had this reporter come up to me and basically say, so Hannah, how does it feel to know that you've, you know, let down the whole of Scotland after that swim? And it broke me. It was awful because I took it very, very personally. And, you know, I wear my heart on my sleeve and, you know, every effort I give in, my, in the pool is an honest 100% effort. So the fact that this guy was a reporter deemed it not good enough. I didn't know how to take it. So it was tough. Uh, and that was when I realized, you know, it's not going to be uh, as, as straightforward games that I had anticipated. And on top of that, I'd almost knocked myself out actually the night before, um, Try to have like a shower, as most swimmers do. You get the shower at the start of the meet because you don't wash your hair or anything for the rest of the competition, so your hat doesn't slide off. And we couldn't shower because the way they designed the showers in the uh, apartments, the plug was at the top end of the slope that the shower seems to have been built on. (laughs) So you'd flood the bathroom. So I had to grab the shower head, pull it over into the bath, but you couldn't stand in the bath because there were rusty nails protruding through. So I had to just flick my hair over, wash it and do all that. Washed it, fine, rinsed it, put conditioner in, left it for a little bit went to flick my hair back over and as I went to flick my head back over I caught my head off the edge of the bath and knocked myself out oh dear (laughs) I had a massive like bruise on the top of my head which was being compressed by the bullet hats that you're racing um so that wasn't too fun so being able to kind of do that back to back I definitely learned a lot of things being able to recover well and especially as all the conditions you know it was the same for everybody it was a very very tough competition so to hang on for the 400 IM I mean who thought it was a good idea to stick a 400 IM on the last day <laughs> very grateful for the Commonwealth after that not having that but uh yeah it was very very tough uh to sort of hang on for dear life uh, until the 400 IM and then once I finished it it was more relief that I'd survived it finished it and there was no more racing off the back of that, <laughs> and then could enjoy a little bit of uh, a little bit of TLC and a bit of downtime. So yeah, so it was interesting. It's one of those things where you just had to get on with it. You know, having those two competitions back to back, you couldn't moan. You know, they're not going to move it <laughs> just because you don't want it to happen. But um, 
you know, I, I had to learn a lot about that sort of psychology side of it and just learn to be able to basically recover. That was the main thing because, you know, you are training for longer than, over, you know, over a year. So the recovery strategies had to be on point for that. You mentioned that the 400 AM was on the last day, obviously a bit of a test of endurance with everything going on to make it to the, to the, to the sixth day of competition. But um, yeah. all, all that aside, you know, and, and accepting that, you know, people were up and down and in and out of their events and, and, and you know, people weren't necessarily swimming as fast as they might have done. Um, you know, you were obviously the favourite for that because of your, your your performance earlier in the summer. Did you still feel that you were, you, it was yours to win by the time it came around with everything that had gone on as well? No, I was actually still very, very nervous because I knew how well I'd done at Europeans and how hard the rest of the meet was going. Um, and that was where it was pretty much, it didn't matter what time you did. It was just about the race. It was just trying to be at the best you possibly could be at that moment in time. So I kind of knew this is not going to be a quick time. This is just going to be a, a race for survival, really, who can get to the wall first, ultimately. Um and yeah, going into it, like there were so many good swimmers there that could very easily taken the title and gone faster than me. Um, but it was just, I, don't know, I guess it was just at that moment in time, uh, everything kind of pulled together in my favour, I guess, and I was able to get the touch. Uh, but I was being chased by quite, um, I think, Samantha Hamill uh, coming down that last little 50. So, you know, it was very, it was very, very close and Kerry Ann Payne as well. So, yeah, I, I definitely didn't think I was going in as a favourite. And that was the hardest part because I knew there was that pressure and expectation for me. You know, we'd seen Robbie Reddick win gold and that was a very emotional moment for all of us. Um, and, you know, the boys relay team as well, the boys four by two. That's always such a special uh, moment for, for Team Scotland, too. So, you know, I wanted to do well. I wanted to do well, not just for myself, but for the team and for everybody for Scotland watching. Um, so, yeah, so just kind of got on the block and I just reverted back to that sort of basic instinct of just race. Didn't matter the time, didn't matter the pacing. It was just pure race and get to the wall as best you can. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I wanted to ask because I, I couldn't find any evidence that you'd ever done it another time, but you, you swam backstroke, I think, in the medley relay. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, you know, I actually had forgotten about that. <laughs> <laughs> I think I did. Um, yeah, as you can tell, it's not one that I tend to swim that often. So I think we had to kind of make do with the uh, the athletes that were still standing at the time. <laughs> so really a war of attrition for that one? Uh, a little bit. It was just, I was there for the team. You know, if we needed a backstroke swimmer, you know, I'd put my hand up and say, happy to do that. So whatever it took to kind of help the team go through. Yeah. Um, and then, and last thing about, about Delhi before we move on, you know, I, I, one thing I remember is from the, from the podiums that they had these sort of nice scarf things that they gave you. Do you yeah. know what, what do you remember about those? Um, it was a quite a nice memento. I, I I love keeping the little mascots and the little items that go with each of the games if you get to go on the podium. So for me, having that draped round, you know, it felt really special and quite unique. And I still have it. Um, I've yet to unpack it. There's still lots of boxes in my house that I've yet to unpack, but I do know that I've still got it. And it's still very much, yes, there was lots of disastrous memories attached to Delhi, but there's still that kindness, you know, somebody made that and somebody actually put a lot of effort into it. And there's a memory to that scarf and it's different, you know, it's normally a plush toy or flowers. And the fact that you got the scarf for me made it quite unique and quite memorable. Yeah, they were, oh, they look really great. So it's, uh, it's nice to hear that, that, that it, you know, it kind of meant something to you as well. Um, 
we'll, we'll move on, I think, um, to uh, to twenty fourteen and, and Glasgow. Another massive contrast uh, yes. from from Delhi to, to Glasgow, <laughs> uh, rather like Melbourne to Delhi. But um, obviously, Glasgow home games for you. You've already talked about what it's like representing Scotland and, and the pride and everything that comes from that. You know, is it heightened even more when it when it's at home and you know it's in your home pool? Yeah, and it was. And I definitely felt there was a bit more of weight added to it um, because they'd the expectation stepped up even more and the expectation that, oh, Hannah will defend her title. It'll be really easy. She'll do it again. And September 2013, um, Amy Wilmot was basically handing my arse to me. She was doing so well. She was getting faster every time I raced her. And it was a little bit tricky to try and hold the sort of panic and the stress of this isn't going to be an easy thing. And it was like, oh, no, it'll be fine. You'll be good. And I'm like, mm, no. <laughs> and not only that, they moved the 400 IM from instead of being on day six, they moved it to day one. And not only was it day one, it was the very first event. And not only was I at the very first event, I was actually the first heat for the competition. So it was quite daunting. Um, but the fact that it was in Glasgow, we'd experienced London, the home crowd atmosphere there. I kind of knew that going into Glasgow, you know, there's a way to use the crowd instead of seeing it as something as daunting, but actually use it as energy, you know, really feed on the crowd. You know, they're there to support and it's not just the Scots, there's everybody there. And I feel Glasgow did such an amazing job being probably a little bit biased, but, you know, it's known as a friendly games. And I really think Glasgow just opened its doors. You know, the taxi drivers, everybody was talking about how awesome the people of Glasgow were. And it was just nice to showcase you know, our Scottish city to be able to, you know, welcome all these athletes, all these countries in to host these games and to showcase Scotland for truly what it is. It's more than just the haggis and the iron brew, you know, there's a little bit more to it. And I love the fact as well that the Australians came over with thick knitted jumpers and it was a heat wave and they were roasting <laughs> and it was too hot. They were going over to Tesco's to buy like all the fans. Like we were sold out of like fans because it was so hot in those rooms that they needed ventilation. <laughs> Second week, I think they then had to bring those jumpers back out because typical Scottish weather, it did get a bit colder. But I love <laughs> the fact that we had a heat wave for that first week. Um, so, yeah, so it definitely was a very, very special moment. There aren't many athletes who get to compete at a home games, whether it's an Olympic games, world championships, European championships, but a Commonwealth games as well, because it's once every four years. So for us to, you know, have the games last time, I think it was in Edinburgh. So to have it in Glasgow was just, it was just awesome. It was so, so good. And I was so excited for it, but at the same time, dealing with so much pressure as well. That was uh, quite a, a stark contrast going into Delhi compared to going into Glasgow. Um, a little bit more smooth sailing, but the pressure was tenfold. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask you about the, the 400 IM coming right up to the front, you know, the first final on the first night. You know, you said there you were in the first heat, you know, mm -hmm. and, and lots of people are saying, oh, well, no, the organisers have done that deliberately because they want Scotland to get off on a good a good start and presumably you know I, I doubt very much that your dad or the, or the team staff were saying that to you but you must have felt that massively yeah I mean I'm not daft I kind of I knew that that was the expectation um so it, yeah I definitely felt that hugely and you know my dad wasn't uh, a coach on the team um so for me to kind of like speak to him for the holding camp it was great because it was in Aberdeen um so just being able to just try and stay level-headed as I could 
and just deal with the pressure. You know, I can't avoid it. It's going to happen. And I just had to find a way to be able to cope with it and manage that threshold point. So it didn't take me to a point where it would affect my performance. It did affect it in a way, but I had to be really mentally strong to a embrace and enjoy this opportunity because it's an opportunity that not many athletes get to have. So I had to see the advantage of that, but also it's another 400 IM. It's no different to any of the other 400 IMs that I'd done. You know, I've been racing at tall cross pools since I was, you know, about 10 years old. <laughs> so it's the same pool. So, you know, for me, I kind of took a lot of comfort from that familiarity. And uh, and you've already mentioned Amy, who was in great form you know, that, that season. Uh, but obviously, you know, you knew her very well because you'd been on teams together. You'd raced her a lot. You knew she was in good form, but did knowing her, help kind of take the edge off that yeah I think so I mean it's kind of you have your teammates when you're in the water you know everyone and anyone's a competitor so having that familiarity I think is really really helpful um it, it kind of helps as well I'm the type of athlete where I've you know my father's daughter I analyze everything so I kind of I'm aware of the competitors their race strategy their sort of fingerprint for how they swim each of the races and you know Amy was an incredible athlete and I do owe her an awful lot because I think that sort of rivalry that we had pushed both of us to the levels that we got to and it's you know it's so exciting to have that and you know going into the games she was very much using my race strategy against me whether she intentionally did that it felt like that for me she was you know she completely tore up my race strategy and I had to I had to really think about how I was going to race it because whenever I tried my normal race strategy she just outdid me every single time. And I knew literally walking out for that final headphones were on behind the block. As I was basically getting myself ready to be on the block for that final, I had to make that decision to change my strategy ever so slightly. <laughs> Normally I'm renowned for like holding back on that first 100. And I took the risk to actually not go out hard but to go out faster than what I normally do. So normally I think my 100 fly PV is something like a, a 101.9 or something like that. And I went out in like a 102.1 or 102.0, which for someone who's not a sprint specialist is kind of swift for me. <laughs> and it was different. So I had to change it up for that race to be the way that it was. And I thought, you know what, I need to try and be at least ahead of her going into the freestyle to know that I've got a good solid chance. And when I turned on that breaststroke and all I saw was her feet, <laughs> I thought pants. <laughs> okay, this is going to be a battle for, you know, just trying to stay close. And I'll never forget that last tumble turn. You know, I Glasgow is one of those pools where the crowd are so close to poolside. And as soon as I turned and pushed off, I could hear the crowd so clearly underwater. It was so cool because Normally, you don't hear anything when you're underwater. You can hear yourself singing or whatever, but to hear a crowd crystal clear under that water, like I don't, I'll never know what the crowd was above the water, but I know exactly what it was in the water. And that just carried me home. I mean, I was dying on that last 50 because I'd taken it out a lot harder than what I'm used to. And it was just a matter of hanging on for dear life. And, you know, to be there with Amy, she helped push me to that point. And that was the second fastest time I had ever done. The fastest time was from the polysuit area in 2009. And that was the closest I ever gotten to. And for me, it wasn't just so much defending the title. It was, you know, overcoming the pressure, you know, being able to step up to that expectation, not just the whole nation was putting on my shoulders, but myself. And, you know, the fact that my coach wasn't on the team, that I can do it. I had a lot of confidence built into me from that. And, 
and it just yeah it just kind of all aligned up and I certainly wouldn't have gotten that to that point had Amy not been there so you know having that familiarity of that teammate there but also that rivalry I think is so good and it's done in a healthy way and you know I always celebrate the successes that she has as well as I know that she celebrates the successes I have and you know I think that's a good partnership and a good sportsman um sort of behavior I think for all athletes yes you want to win but at the same time you have to be respectful so having having got that uh that race done and obviously got the result that you wanted was there a big a big weight that lifted off you I mean obviously you were elated to to get the victory of, of course you know we remember the, the pictures and everything with the crowd cheering and, and you know celebrations but you know for you that must have just made the rest of the week so much easier to, to have got that done and know you were swimming well it did. It, it lifted a huge weight and it actually was possibly one of the best competitions I'd ever done. And, you know, and I was 25. I was about to turn 25. And for a female swimmer, you know, that's considered old. <laughs> and for me to be, you know, doing personal best times, I, you know, I came again fourth so many times in events that I wouldn't normally come forth in or be anywhere near competitive in, but I just saw an opportunity because I was riding off this high and that weight was lifted. It was incredible. You know, I had my wee moment on the podium. I cried um, because, you know, singing the national anthem, it really hits home, seeing the crowd. And then as well, just celebrating the ability to cope and deal with that pressure and realize that, you know, I can do it. I am a strong athlete. And actually for once, backing myself um yeah I can be a type of athlete sometimes that can be very unconfident you know I'm always worried about failing or worried about doing it wrong so I'll give it everything that I've got and to stand there knowing that I have done everything and this was that moment so I got to enjoy it so yeah so going in you know racing the 200 IM and coming away with a bronze medal behind Alicia Coots and Siobhan Marie O'Connor was just incredible and then just missing the podium for the 200 fly coming forth and then same again for like the 800 free, the 200 breaststroke, 400 free. You know, there were so many cool races that I really enjoyed doing off the back of that. Um, so, yeah, so it does kind of cement that whole mindset of a happy swimmer is a fast swimmer. So for me at the age of 25, it was uh, it was kind of cool to have that because it proved as well that, you know, age was just a number uh, and a bit of time and patience with yourself. You know, you can still step up and perform at any age. Now, now you've kind of touched on my, what was going to be my next question because we we know you as someone who liked to take on big programs. But you know <laughs> that week you had the four hundred IM, the four hundred free, eight hundred free, two hundred breaststroke, two hundred fly, two hundred IM, and this from the final of the four by two relay as well, which I made thirteen races in six days. That's you know yeah. that you must have been pretty tired by the end of it. I was shattered. I was so shattered. But you know, as I say, I was doing it for the team. Like it just. There's something else that just lifts you onto that next level. And I definitely think the day one helped carry me through it because initially when I signed up to those races, I didn't expect to make the number of finals that I did. So I didn't think I was going to be racing 13 swims. I thought it was going to be like half of that. So yeah, I was shattered by the end. Was it, you know, was it just one of those weeks where everything fell into place? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Everything just kind of clicked. It was the right mindset, the right physiology, the right technique. It just it just all worked. Um, as I say, sometimes you can, you know, with the best will in the world, you can train the hardest you can train, but sometimes it comes down to a bit of luck. And for me, you know, luck was on my side. Obviously there's a lot of things I could influence, you know, I was doing everything I possibly could to the best of my ability and do the things that I knew was right. But, uh, at the same time, you know, I can't control my competitors. <laughs> um, so for me to kind of get the placings that I got, 
was very lucky. <laughs> and uh, and it was a good it was a good you no know, meet for Scotland as well. Obviously, you know uh, Ross Murdoch won one gold. Dan Wallace won some medals. Michael Jameson was you know, in there as well. Um, yeah. Corey Scott, you know, relay medals. So it must have been a really great team to be part of. It was. It was really really good. It just. As I say, just that clan, that whole family sense builds in together. You're there for your team and not just yourself. And, you know, the successes of others, you know, it it bleeds through the rest of the team. It really does lift everybody up. But same with those that you get the near misses. You know, you're not left on your own or made to feel you're not important. We had individuals who weren't maybe satisfied with their swims, but they still turned up and cheered and supported on poolside. And we're very much the key part for that support network for the whole team. So, you know, it really does bring everybody together. And it was, it was nice to be able to kind of get close to the, the medal target that we had uh, and kind of ride off the high that we had for day one. Uh, and one one final question before uh, before I'll, I'll let you go. Just, you know, obviously, you know, you have memories of your own performance and having a, you know, a great week and everything, but what's your, what's your kind of abiding memory of, of Glasgow 2014 as a, as a Commonwealth Games, if you like? It was being able to stand on poolside and look and hear the crowd, seeing everybody so close and just seeing how excited and ready everybody was to support swimming. Because swimming, you know, it's a very niche community. Swimmers love swimming, but trying to draw people in sometimes can be very tricky. You know, we've got the ISL, who's probably the closest at trying to kind of draw in a non-swimming background kind of crowd. And it was the first time I felt so proud of the sport proud of Glasgow, proud of the Commonwealth Games to actually bring in pretty much a full crowd. You know, there was barely any seats left when you're looking around at the finals. And it was just the people, the people there to watch, whether it was the volunteers, whether it was the public, whether it was people, you know, coming to support um, their own, you know, family members or individual athletes uh, to cheer and support them. Um, it, It was just for me, it cemented the pure essence of what the Commonwealth Games is all about that community that friendly games um, and for me I'll never forget the crowd that was just the biggest part for me well obviously you went on to another Commonwealth Games on the Gold Coast four years later perhaps we'll talk about those another time but um, (laughs) loved hearing your your recollections of those two games Hannah thank you ever so much for sharing no worries thank you for having me on quite a contrast in Hannah's recollections there huge thanks to her for being so candid As I said at the start, that brings this series to an end, but you can find all of the previous episodes at www.poolboy.co.uk forward slash memories if you want to get more games nostalgia. If you want to get in touch at all, you can find me on social media at Poolboy on Twitter or at Poolboy UK on Instagram and Facebook. And if you're listening on Apple or Spotify, please do leave a review. We'd really appreciate it. The podcast will be back soon, but until then, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Pool Boy Podcast. For more episodes, visit www.poolboy.co.uk slash podcast.